Welcome to the December Pensions Podcast from the Stevenson Harwood Pensions Law Team. You can subscribe and listen to, on iTunes and Stitcher or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. I'm Mark Catchpole, a consultant in the pensions team, and I have with me Julia Cooper, an associate in the team. Today, the topics we are going to look at include the most recent Lloyd's decision considering GMP equalisation obligations for past transfers out, the pension regulator's pension scam pledge, changes to the ICO's subject access request guidance, and some new cybercrime guidance. Firstly, however, we will consider the pensions regulator recent guidance for defined benefit trustees on employers in financial distress. Thanks, Mark. Yes, in response to the impact of COVID-19 on the UK economy, the pensions regulator has issued guidance designed to help trustees of defined benefit schemes to protect their schemes from sponsoring employer distress. The regulator observes that when a sponsor experiences financial distress, the actions which the sponsor then takes can lead to significant pension scheme losses. Trustees are therefore expected to protect members and minimise potential scheme losses by adopting risk-based principles on an ongoing basis. The guidance can be broken down into three key areas. The first is based around prevention. The regulator expects trustees to take an integrated risk management approach. The guidance highlights that taking action before a sponsor shows sign of distress increases the chances of mitigating downside risk in the future. In particular, it can help secure a positive scheme outcome before other stakeholders compete for value alongside the scheme at which point options may be significantly reduced. The guidance sets out a number of steps the regulator expects trustees to be taking. The second key area is around identification and spotting the signs of sponsor distress. As the guidance states, trustees are a first line of defence for savers and their pension schemes. It is therefore incumbent on trustees to spot the warning signs of sponsor distress. These signs may vary according to the nature of the sponsor's business and the industry in which it operates. The guidance provides examples of key warning signs that trustees should be aware of. The final key area in the guidance is around responding. The guidance sets out a number of actions trustees can take if they spot the warning signs. These include, for example, increasing the frequency of covenant monitoring and reviewing the investment strategy. The guidance makes clear that there are a multitude of issues for defined benefit scheme trustees to consider where the scheme sponsor is facing financial difficulties. However, trustees are unlikely to possess all the skills and know-how needed to give each of these issues due consideration. This means they will almost certainly need to seek specialist professional advice in order to deal effectively with potential or actual sponsor distress in line with the regulator's expectations. Thanks, Julia. For our next topic, we'll look at the most recent Lloyds Bank decision 
which considered the obligations on trustees to equalise guaranteed minimum pensions in respect of past transfers out from occupational pension schemes. The most recent judgment comes two years after the first in this series of cases, which determined that defined benefit schemes were obliged to equalise scheme members' GMPs. In the 2018 judgment, the judge left the question unanswered of whether historically transferred out members were entitled to have their transfer payments topped up where those payments had not been equalised at the point of transfer. The answer has now been provided. Where an individual member has taken a statutory transfer out under the cash equivalent transfer value legislation on an unequalised basis, the transferring scheme trustees are legally responsible for equalising the GMPs of those members. This ruling affects all GMPs accrued between the 17th of May 1990 and the 5th of April 1997, and there is no time limit for claiming the top-up. This means that trustees will not be able to rely on any scheme forfeiture rules or the terms of the Limitation Act 1980, and there is no time limit for transfer out members to seek a top-up. The steps that trustees must now take will depend on whether they are the trustees of the receiving or transferring scheme, and whether the transferring question was a statutory or a non-statutory transfer. Trustees of transferring schemes must now look to equalise CETVs, or statutory transfers, that have been previously paid from their scheme. In circumstances where a scheme received a bulk transfer, i.e. more than one individual member, the transferring scheme trustees are discharged from providing any top-up payment because the obligation to equalise rests with the receiving scheme. As a result, trustees of receiving schemes may need to undertake a wider GMP equalisation effort than first thought. Where non-statutory transfers out have been made under the scheme rules, a transferring member no longer has rights under the transferring scheme. This is the case unless the court sets aside the exercise of the transfer power and the transferring member can require the trustees to exercise the power again. In order to do this, the member would need a court to find that the trustees were in breach of duty when they exercise their power to transfer. There would be a fact-specific exercise dictated by specific scheme rules and based upon circumstances at the time the trustees made their decision. Thanks, Mark. We will now look at recent steps taken by the pensions regulator in order to protect pension scheme members from scams. The regulator is asking trustees, providers and administrators to take the pension scams pledge. In order to take the pledge, trustees must make certain commitments, including committing to warning members about scams regularly, reviewing certain materials on pension scams, encouraging members asking for cash drawdown to get impartial guidance from the pensions advisory service, carrying out appropriate due diligence on pensions transfers, warning members if they insist on high-risk transfers being paid and reporting concerns about a scam to authorities and communicating this to the member. Once steps have been taken to implement these principles, 
trustees can then self-certify they have met the pledge. The regulator will then send the trustees resources that can be used to demonstrate that they are using best practice. Thank you, Julia. The Information Commissioner's Officer has recently published detailed guidance on subject access requests. A subject access request is a request from an individual for a copy of their personal data. For employers and trustees, these requests can become a time-consuming and expensive exercise. Under the General Data Protection Regulation, data controllers are required to respond to a subject access request without undue delay and in any event within one month of receipt of the request. Previously, there was no provision to extend that time frame, but the clock can now be stopped where a data controller asks the data subject to clarify their request. The guidance makes clear that a data controller should only seek clarification if it is genuinely required in order to respond, and if large amounts of data about the requesting individual are being processed. The new guidance has also broadened the definition of a manifestly excessive request. A data controller may refuse to respond to certain requests from individuals if it can demonstrate that they are manifestly unfounded or excessive. The ICO emphasises the word manifestly, and confirms that organisations must have firm justifications for concluding that a request is excessive. This presents a high bar in practice, with each case needing to be decided on its own facts. The guidance has also been updated with regards to what organisations can take into account when charging an administrative fee. That fee can now include the costs of accessing, locating, retrieving, extracting and copying the information, as well as the time taken to communicate the response. Whilst the new guidance does not change the underlying law, it does provide some useful direction for employers and trustees and should simplify how to respond to subject access requests in the future. For our final topic, we will just mention that PASA has published some new cybercrime guidance for pension administrators. The guidance was authored in part by specialists at Stevenson Harwood. This publication comes at a time of heightened cybercrime and fraud activity. It aims to help administrators understand their organisation's vulnerability to cybercrime and ensure their organisation is resilient to cybercrime and able to fulfil key functions in the event of an attack. Well, that's it all for this month's podcast. Further detail on all of the topics discussed can be found in the December snapshot in our briefing on the Lloyd's Transfer Out case and from the usual Stevenson Howard Pensions Law Group contact. Thanks for listening. We hope you found the podcast informative and don't forget that you can listen again and subscribe to the series on iTunes or Stitcher or on the Stevenson Howard Pensions Law Hub. Thank you. <laughs>